Welcome everyone to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode 32 of the 2021 podcast series, taking a look at the draft eligible prospects and getting you ready for the NFL draft set to begin April 29th. Now this recording is taking place on Sunday, April 25th, which means we have just four days until the draft. And there's really a lot left to cover. So really what I'm talking about is one podcast for each of the days leading up to draft day. So today, the 25th, is all about the corners and safeties. No, I did not forget about our, our, our skill position players there on the back end of the defense. We're going to get to the, the corners. We're going to get to the safeties here today. Tomorrow's podcast on Monday the 26th and Tuesday the 27th, we're going to really be taking a look at my five-round mock draft, really from a team perspective. So we're going to go through the team needs, really what I think will be the best fits for each of those franchises, and really we're going to start east to west. So we'll start with with, uh, both the AFC and NFC east, we'll come to the south, and we'll do that on, on Monday. Tuesday's podcast, we'll take a look at the north and the the West for both the AFC and NFC. And then finally on Wednesday the 28th, the day before the draft, I'll take a look at my final first round mock. And from there, we'll play by the numbers one final time. Now, if you're not familiar with by the numbers, essentially what I do is I, I take a look at the draft history over the last five years there's been kind of, you know, see if there are any patterns. You know, what are the averages of, of the different positions um, by round? And then see if we can calculate who the players are going to be that are going to come off uh, in rounds one through seven. Not even tied to any teams that we can just play the numbers game and see if we can, how close we can get to an actual matchup with players in each round, just based on the history, based on the numbers. And not even taking a look at the team needs or anywhere else or where the team the players may be going. See if we can play a little bit of that. And uh, that'll be on Wednesday. And hopefully just that talk with all the players, that'll get you everything you need to be ready for that draft on April 29th in Cleveland, Ohio. Man, it's right around the corner. I cannot wait. This is going to be a lot of fun. Now, hopefully by, you know, by the time we get to Wednesday the 28th, my, pot, my, my mock draft will still be set in stone and, and be the, the same that's currently out on the website. I, I sure hope that that's going to be the case uh, be, because what, what ended up happening, we, we already have some additional news that, that's come out. And uh, Kansas City uh, actually traded for Orlando Brown Jr. We knew that that was a potential that, that, you know, that, that Brown could get traded. Uh, he had come out on, on Twitter and said, hey, I'm a left tackle. He got a taste when Ronnie Stanley went down to injury and now he's he's firmly cemented himself at look I'm I'm a pro bowler I played the left tackle I held up you know pl- held up well I'm a left tackle in this league and the Ravens had said that they would look you know look for a trade allow him to look for a trade and ultimately the Chiefs have come knocking and the Chiefs will go ahead you know they they made the deal for him four picks given up including number 31 in the draft and then the Ravens it was also announced and this is what what's crazy about everything with uh, with you know, when you get around the draft is you know there was a report by ESPN's Jamison Hensley. He reported on the 23rd, just a few hours after this deal was done, that the team was intending to sign free agent Alejandro Villanueva to take over that right tackle position. So I mean that's huge news. So you trade away you you know really Brown was expendable, 
because you had somebody else that you could bring in and you knew that he could play that, that tackle position. He held up really well on the left side for the Steelers, making that transition over to the right side with Ronnie Stanley healthy on the left side, which then allows the Ravens at 27-31, they can address the receiver and that edge rusher position. I think ultimately, if you're looking at the edge rusher, if Aziz Ojolari is on the board, you run up to the podium and you put that name in as quickly as possible. I think Ojulari, you know, the explosiveness coming off the edge, if he's not there, then you look at whoever else is available. You know, it could be Jalen Phillips. Uh, if he does fall due to some of those injury concerns, uh, a lot of people think that he's going to come off the board in, in the top half of round one. I think the injury concerns, the more I think about it, I've, I've moved him down in my draft just a little bit because of that. Um, not too far, but you know, I, I think you know he'll still be a first rounder. But then you know, Jason Owe's also a possibility, and Joe Tryon and, and Joseph Osai. So the Ravens have some options if Aziz Ojolari is not on the board. And then at the receiver position, I, I look at Rashad Bateman, I look at Terrace Marshall Jr., and I look at Kadarius Tony. Any one of those guys, whether it's a 27 or 31, I think those are you know that's going to be who the Ravens target. And really, the, the the interesting thing when you look at where the Ravens are at 2027, 20, you know the Saints at 28 uh, likely aren't going to be on the market for a, a 34 uh, edge. Um, you know, 29 the, the Packers. I think they've got other areas of need. I don't see them you know going after an edge rusher in, in a 34. Um, you know, the, the Bills. You know, they play a 4-3. You know, I, I don't see them taking a guy like Ojulari either. So really, the Ravens. You know, th those teams, though, especially with, with the Saints and the Packers, they can end up taking a receiver. So if I'm the Ravens, I think I take a receiver at 27. I get my edge rusher at 31 with the best player available there. And then the Ravens are really set. They, they traded away their, their second round pick to the Chiefs. But I think the, the, the Ravens are really confident with, with where they're sitting if they're able to get, you know, like Bateman and Ojulari in, in round number one. That'd be huge. So the, the next bit that, that ends up happening, um, you know, you have the 49ers, there's talk, they've made up their mind, who they've really narrowed things down to, they went to all the different pro days and everything else, um, you know, the pro days were really set up and designed for them, and it really comes down to Mac Jones or Trey Lance, and who's it going to be? Uh, ESPN, Bleacher Report, a lot of people coming out and reporting that um, it's going to come down to either Mac Jones or Trey Lance. If you look at my podcast or my, my mock draft on the website, you'll see that when, when the Niners were sitting there at 12, I had them taking Trey Lance. And, and now that they're up at three, I have them taking Mac Jones. So it's kind of interesting, you know, in terms of the two players, those are the two guys that I identify for San Fran, and that's really what they're looking at. And, and the rumors are um, that, you know, John Lynch loves Trey Lance, um, or at least, you know, there are some executives in, in the, the building and you know, all signs point to that being John John Lynch, loving Trey Lance, very intrigued by his upside. But at the end of the day, you, know, you need to have somebody who can match wits with, with Kyle Shanahan, and that's going to be Mac Jones. And so I think Jones ultimately ends up being that pick at three. Wouldn't be surprised if it's if it's Trey Lance. Um, at the end of the day, you're going to have Lance and you're going to have Fields sitting out there, and I think there are going to be teams that are going to be clamoring to you know for those those guys' services. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Do the Broncos make a you know make a, a play for either of them? What about the Patriots? You know, if I'm the Bears, look, you know, yes, you know, they may not get a chance to uh, to see it in round in, in the first year, but man, you've got Andy Dalton and you've got Nick Foles. Both of those guys are bridge quarterbacks. You know, if you at least 
you have the you have the stones to, to draft you know or trade up into the top 10 and get Trey Lance you know I think that's probably the best fit let him learn from those guys and then ultimately take over that franchise you know and depending on how quickly he moves along he may end up making it you know uh, taking over that starting job sooner rather than later but uh you know I, I think the Bears are another team that has to make a move for a quarterback at some point and then finally the last bit of news that that came out um, that I found really intriguing and, and it kind of affected my, my mock draft so um, you know, I, I think I do have to update the website one more time. Um, and it's ultimately uh, what the Athletics' Bob McGinn reported about Christian Barmore, that uh, there's some resistance to coaching and structure at Alabama and that some teams are, are definitely concerned with that. I have Barmore coming off the board uh, initially at 17 to the Raiders. I dropped him to 25 with the Jags just because of the inexperience more than anything else. I couldn't see Mike Mayock just taking a guy who's so inexperienced. When you look at his track record, he's taken a lot of guys who have a lot of experience there and a lot of production at the collegiate level. Um, but then the Jags at 25, I thought maybe that might be a good fit for Urban Meyer. But the talk about the resistance to coaching, Urban, that's not going to fly in Urban Meyer's, you know, in, in his house. And, you know, so really I've got Barmore actually falling out of round number one, uh, if you can believe it. And uh, when I'm looking at the Jags, I was trying to really figure out where Quiddy Pay was going to go as well. And at the end of the day, I'm looking at it. This is kind of a match made in heaven. You look at Urban Meyer. Um, I think he understands that in order to win at the next level, you're going to have to be good in, in the trenches, both on the offensive and defensive line. Um, and, and getting a guy like Quiddy Pay to play a lo- uh, opposite Josh Allen, that really gives you guys, you know, gives them two guys that they can really. Uh, get after the quarterback and the thing with with Quiddy Pay is is he can rest the quarterback both on the outside and from within you, know, you, you think about some of the NASCAR packages Steve Spagnuolo ran that with the Giants you put in four defensive ends you can kick Quiddy Pay into to defensive tackle you know and I think that's something that you know Urban Meyer could potentially take a look at down the road um, so some different things that are happening uh, you know toward, and it always happens as we get closer and closer to the draft things start coming out about different players about uh what teams are thinking and so there's some last minute adjustments to some mock drafts so uh wednesday hopefully there won't be too many more of those and it can be a pretty straightforward podcast when it comes to my mock draft so with all of that said we've got to go ahead and get into uh the the corners and safeties that's really what this podcast is going to be all about uh and we've got a lot to cover you know there are a lot of guys a lot of names are going to be called when you look at the the corners and, and safeties 254 were taken in the last five drafts. So that's right around 50, 51. In 2020, you had 29 corners and 21 safeties. And, you know, those 21 safeties, none of them came off the board in round number one. If you recall, we actually had six corners go off the board in round one. Uh, Jeff Okuda going to the Lions, CJ Henderson to the Jags. A.J. Terrell looks like a keeper there with the Falcons. Came off the board number 16 overall. Damon Arnett, a surprise pick there by the Raiders at 19. And then 30 and 31, you had Noah Igbenogany and Jeff Gladney come off the board there. So it's really interesting. After that, you had had three safeties come off the board um, in round two. Um, in the first 15 picks in round two. In uh, Xavier McKinney, Kyle Duggar, um, Grand Delpit, actually four, because then you had uh, you know Antoine Winfield. Uh, he, he came off the board one pick after Grand Delpit, uh, and wasn't he a steal there for for the Bucks? 
So, you know, it's really interesting. You look you know, further down on, in uh, the second round, you had Jalen Johnson, who's a, a star there for the Bears, and, and uh, Trevon Diggs playing well for the Cowboys. Jeremy Chin, uh, who could have very well been the, the defensive rookie of the year in the league, you know, he, he was at the end of round two to the Panthers. The, the last pick in round two, 64th overall. Think about that. You know, that, that dude is a stud. Um, you know, Julian Blackman played well for the Colts. He came off the board in round three. Cameron Dantzler, um, you know, look, when you've got T-Buck as your, your DB coach at Mississippi State saying that you're one of the best corners in the draft, you know, people should start listening to that because, look, he came off the board in round three. They were worried about his slight frame. He looks like a keeper for the Vikes. Uh, so, you know, you just you, you look at it. Man, Legereus Sneed, was that a steal or what? You know, 138th overall. That's in the fourth round. Uh, you know, going to the Chiefs. He was a guy I, I think people weren't sure what position he was going to play. Was it safety? Was it corner? And at the end of the day, you know, he's playing corner for the Chiefs, and he he looks like a, an absolute stud, an absolute steal. I mean, you even had Jordan Fuller in the sixth round to the Rams. Uh, inconsistent play at Ohio State, but he played well for the Rams. Cameron Curl for the Redskins. Came off the board in, in the seventh round, but a guy that also is starting there for uh, for the Washington football team. So, you know, I, I think it's really exciting. Um, you know, that, that draft class there with 2020. And I think when you look at this draft class, We've got a, another deep corner and safety draft class. I think that's what's really going to be exciting. And really what I'm going to do is, is we're going to go ahead and take a look at the corners first. I think that's really uh, what we'll do, and then we'll transition to the safeties after that. And really, I, I think it's a three-way, you know, three-horse race at the top, you know, in terms of uh, Patrick Sertan, Caleb Farley, and uh, and J.C. Horn. Although uh, Greg Newsom Jr., or I'm sorry, Greg Newsom II, out of Northwestern is closing the gap on those uh, those other three. But when you look at, uh, you know, Patrick Sertan, a lot of people have him at the top of their list. And, you know, it's hard to argue with that. You know, 6'2", 202, uh, the junior out of Alabama. Um, you know, obviously the, the bloodlines, you know, when you think about, um, you know, you, you see the name, the first thing you think of is, is his father playing for the Dolphins. Uh, you know, came out of... Uh, uh, at a Southern Miss, and was a second-round pick of the of the Chiefs, you know, and, and so I'm sorry of the Dolphins, and then uh, ultimately played with the Chiefs at the end of his career. Um, but this was a guy who was a first-team All-Pro in in 20 uh, in 2002, second-team All-Pro in 2003, three-time Pro Bowler, Conference USA Defensive Player of the Year back in 1997, um, and, and so obviously the bloodlines definitely there and when you look at Patrick Sertan you know, this is a guy who um, picked off at least three passes um, let's see I'm sorry that was his dad um, so yeah the, the 11 year vet and uh, you know during his six year span from 2000 to 2005 his dad picked off at least three passes and racked up double double digit pass breakups so the, the, the football IQ was passed on to his son. You see the insti instincts are off the chart. Excellent awareness, understanding of route concepts, sits on a route, tries to bait the quarterback into making a throw, uses that size to his advantage. Look, he repped out 225, 18 times at his pro day, uh, has nice straight line speed, uh, ran a 4'4", 6'40". The strength is evident you know, because he's going to muscle guys 
Um, he, he's going to jam you at the line of scrimmage. He's going to reroute you. He's going to force you to the sideline. Um, you know, and he's a guy that's just going to stay in that receiver's hip pocket. Uh, and the length and the ball skills, you absolutely see that on display. Press man, no problem. The issue that I really have is, is when he's an off, off corner, a lot of plays made in front of him. And really the, the thing that happens is a lot of the, those yardage, you know, on slants. You'll see some of these slants and he just can't close in time. You know, and that's the thing that I worry is, is more so not so much the, the straight line speed getting vertical. It's going to be more so the change of direction. And, you know, can he, uh, you know, sink those hips and drive on the football and, and get there before that receiver is going to get up the field? If he's a step slow at the next level, you know, that, that could cause you know, certain doom. Uh, and that's why I have Patrick Sertan. I actually have him as my number three corner in this draft class. Uh, a lot of people have him as, as their number one corner. I think he's going to end up being the first corner taken. I think he'll come off the board in, in the, uh, you know, possibly in the top 10. It depends on what happens with Dallas. Do they trade down or not? You know, with, with all the, the receivers and, and the quarterbacks coming off the board in round one, uh, or I'm sorry, in the top 10, it's conceivable that, uh, you know, Patrick Sertan, even though he'll be the first corner taken, may not be a top 10 pick. Uh, I think Dallas ultimately takes him to pair with Trevon Diggs. Uh, but like I said, to me, he's my number three corner because my number one is really J.C. Horn. You know, 6'1", 205, a junior out of South uh, South Carolina. And look, bloodlines again. His dad, Joe Horn, a receiver. Um, and so I think you see some of that, that uh, understanding uh, both man and zone, uh, understanding route concepts. You know, you see that with his, his football IQ as well. Um, you know, I think that that acumen there is definitely passed on from his father. Um, I think he's best in, in press coverage, tremendous ball skills, um, showed that against some of the top receivers in the country. Uh, they're in the SEC. Does a good job staying square off the snap. Um, doesn't go for the receiver's fake. Really is patient. Likes to get his hands on the receiver early. Pretty fluid hips that allow him to turn and run with the receiver. He's got to watch those hands, though. He gets a little handsy and grabby at times. That's not going to work at the next level. Uh, and off coverage, I think he does a really good job maintaining depth on, the double, on those double moves. Flips his hips. Uh, puts himself in, in bail technique a lot of times. Maintaining that inside leverage. Allows him to read the quarterback and attack the ball when it's in the air. Uh, aggressive, physical at the catch point. Um, this is a guy to me. Um, I just, I'm a big fan uh, of his. I think he's a guy that uh, it, it, he is aggressive. He's very competitive, um, and that aggressiveness is going to get him into trouble at times. But you know, I think his best game was that Auburn game. And a lot of people are going to say, "Well, of course you're going to put on the Auburn game. And that's really all you're going to evaluate." No, I watched the whole season. Uh, you know, with with uh, with the Gamecocks, I've watched J.C. Horn play. Uh, you know, 2019 into 2020, and uh, that game against Auburn, though, I still think was his best game because he, he locked up Seth Williams on the outside. Seth Williams is this big dude, and, and you saw the ball skills. Um, you know, two interceptions, four pass breakups during that contest. Um, you know, I think you know back shoulder throws. He made it difficult for Seth Williams to really do anything. And I'm looking at J.C. Horn. I'm looking at the Eagles sitting there at 12. And what's interesting about the Eagles is they haven't taken a corner since Lito Shepard uh, in 2002. Hasn't ta- haven't taken a corner in round one. Um, but, you know, Avante Maddox, not an outside corner. Kick him inside. Get J.C. Horn to pair with, with Darius Slay. And, and I think that'll at least fix some things on the back end of your defense. Um, you know, and... and especially if you struggle at times with that pass rush, 
Uh, and that's one of the things that, that you do see from time to time. Uh, that edge rush, not always as formidable. You know, gone are the days of Reggie White, uh, you know, Clyde Simmons, uh, you know, Javon Kirst and Hugh Douglas. You know, Brandon Graham, Derek uh, Barnett, Josh Sweat. They did combine from 19 and a half sacks from a season ago. Um, but that's not really elite. You know, those guys, uh, you know, uh, Graham's 32 years of age, and Barnett and Sweat. Um, you know, they're, they're guys that have been up and down a little bit at times. So really, if you've got two lockdown corners on the outside and taking away some of those receivers, those quarterbacks not really having a place to go, you could end up getting some coverage sacks out of that. So I, I think J.C. Horn makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, and that that leaves my number two corner, and that's Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech. Look, 6'2", 207, the junior. Why do I have him all the way down at number 16 to Arizona? At one point, I actually had him fallen all the way to 30 uh, with, with the Bills. And uh, I ultimately moved him back to 16. Um, they said that you know the medicals finally cleared for him um, with his uh, his herniated disc. Now here's here's the deal with with Farley. Uh, had a medical procedure on his back, and uh, Jess Root out of USA Today reported that Farley herniated his disc at, at L5 and had an S1 disc bulge uh, as a result of deadlifting. You know, it was a deadlifting accident, um, and, and so a microdiscectomy. Uh, procedure that was uh, concerning because back injuries can linger, you know, for sure. Add to it the fact that he missed two games in 2019 due to back spasms, had a non-contact ACL tear in 2017, so the medical red flags just continued to mount with this poor guy. And when you think about the injuries, they play a big part in draft stock. Jalen Smith, you know, surefire top 10 pick, tore the ACL and MCL in the Fiesta Bowl, falls to round two, uh, 34th overall. Miles Jack, Potential prospect coming off the board in the top 10 picks. Torres meniscus in practice prior to the 2015 season. There was concern about his knee as well. Possible microfracture surgery leading all the way up to the draft. He falls to 36. But then we see a guy like Jeffrey Simmons. Um, you know, and, th- and this is where I think the story leaves some room for optimism. Simmons uh, expected to be selected in the top half of round one in 2019. ACL injury in December of 2018 would have... Uh, kept him out of most if not all of the 2019 season but when Tennessee was on the clock with 19th overall pick Simmons was still the selection so I I think in terms of the narrative there is still some hope for Caleb Farley in the top half of round one and I think ultimately at the end of the day Steve Kime Cliff Kingsbury they've got to be satisfied with their team doctor's results and really what they're getting out of a guy like Caleb Farley who did opt out of 2020 due to the pandemic but in the two seasons with the Hokies had six interceptions 19 pass breakups uh, off the charts ball skills. You know, this is a guy that likes to play up on the line, stay square, uh, square to the receiver, looks to jam and reroute whenever possible off the line. And when he's not looking to jam, he'll stay low in that back pedal, fluid hips to turn and run quickly. And then he has that vertical speed. I mean, he ran a, a 4.29.40 before his surgery. Uh, you know, and he stays in that receiver's hip pocket. You see those change of direction skills, very fluid, no wasted movement. Uh, plants, drives on that football comfortable in phase uses his reach to make a play on the football so you know he'll drive on the football when it's thrown in front of him as well showing that he can get a hand in without making contact early if he can't get his head around to locate the football this is one of the things that i love he'll still attack that catch point with his back turned to the football when that ball arrives he's watching the receiver's eyes and he's attacking that catch point getting his hand in there to make a play on the football to me you know i think caleb farley the, the, the makeup speed and, and everything else. I've got him there at number two. 
I, I think you know the, the transitions and everything else um, compared to, to Patrick Sertan. That's why I've got him at two. I didn't put him at number one because I think J.C. Horn. Um, you know, there, there's there aren't the medical concerns there with J.C. Horn, but I think he and Caleb Farley. Look, the biggest thing is going to be can Caleb Farley stay on the field? If he does, then I think he has a good chance of taking over for Patrick Peterson there in uh, in Carolina. So you move on to Greg Newsom the second. And the thing that I really like about Greg Newsom the second is this is a dude that you know he, he plays well in in zone. Um, you know, I think he's good in man, but I think he's great in zone. Um, you know, another guy who's really you know really good size, fluid hips, changes directions, drives on the football in a hurry. Uh, Twenty one passes defended in his three years there with the Wildcats. Trusts those eyes, takes excellent angles to the ball, times those jumps well to to make a play on the football. Uh, exceptional on the outside. Another guy that really likes to pin that receiver to the sideline. Closes that distance. The look and lean as the ball is in the air really takes away any separation there by uh, by the receiver. So that's another thing that I really like about him. Physical on the edge and run support. And then look, you showed off that he's a tremendous athlete as well. 4-3-8-40, posted a 40-inch vertical leap. I'm looking at the Jets at 23. Look, here's the thing with the Jets. Um, they've got Blasson Austin, Bryce Hall. Those were the starters in 2020. Um, decent players. Neither were, were exceptional in 2020. You got to get a guy who's going to be the alpha there. And then really their backups are a bunch of undrafted free agents. So I, I think the Jets need to get another corner early and Greg Newsom can be that guy. The last guy that I actually have in round number one of my mock draft, at least to this point, is Kelvin Joseph uh, out of uh, out of Kentucky. He's 6'1", 195, a redshirt sophomore. And look, why do I have him here? You know, I, I think ultimately he's continuing to move up the boards. And, you know, he, he ran that 4-3-4-40 at his pro day. I think that really solidified his status as one of those sleepers to get into round number one. Breakout 2020 season as a redshirt sophomore, led the SEC with four interceptions, excellent size for the position, very fluid hips, uh, blanket coverage on the receivers, change of direction in a hurry, tremendous ball skills arriving at the at the catch point as well. I think this is a guy who is, you know, just continuing to develop. And I think the fact that he ran that 4-3-4, he ran a lot faster than people were expecting. I think they were thinking he was going to probably be in that low 4-5 range. The fact that he runs that 4-3-4, I think he ends up moving into round one. The Bills need a guy that's going to be playing opposite Tredavious White, and I think Kelvin Kelvin Joseph can absolutely be that guy. So that takes us to you know the, the day two and some of the corners that are coming off the board. I think when you look at Georgia, Georgia has two corners that, that could come off the board in, on, on day two. Eric Stokes is one of them. 6'1", 185 pounds, the junior out of Georgia. And uh, look, you know, 18 pass breakups. Um, also blocked a punt that he returned for a touchdown as well in, in his first two seasons with the Dogs. But as a junior, he really elevated his game. Use that size and elite speed to smother receivers on the outside. Look, he ran a 4-2-4-40 at his pro day. Proof that he has that explosiveness to keep up with the vertical vertical threats as well. Instinctive, drives on the football in a hurry. Look, returned two of his four interceptions for a touchdown uh, his junior season as well. Very explosive player and a guy that I really like on the outside. Um, and then his, his running mate is, uh, is Tyson Campbell. And the thing with Tyson Campbell for me is is I, I don't think he's quite the prospect that, that Eric Stokes is. I think Eric Stokes is a little bit more polished, uh, a little bit quicker. Um, you know, the thing with, with Tyson Campbell, he struggled at times, especially with some of the bigger receivers there in the SEC. Um, but look, 
you know, what I do love about him is he was very competitive against those guys. He more than held his own. Um, uses that length to his advantage, makes it hard for receivers on the outside. Uh, the size to be a first rounder, um, but again, there's that tape that's out there of him being beaten this year by a lot of a lot of those receivers as well. So I think that tape's going to cause him to fall to day two. Um, and I'm looking at the Raiders there at number 80. I think they need another corner. Trayvon Mullen was the only corner to uh, register an interception. He had the, the two picks uh, there as a, as a corner. Uh, only two out of the ten. Uh, that's just not going to get it done at that cornerback position. Tyson Campbell, look, he ran a sub 4-4-40, measuring it at 6-2. Uh, you know, this is a guy that I think uh, has a lot of upside as well. So I think Mike Mayock would like to get a guy like him, um, you know, into into camp. So obviously, you know, the, the, the Georgia Bulldogs going to be guys that are, you know I think with Campbell he may come off the board either late day two, early. I'm sorry, late second round, early third. Uh, Ifatu Melifanwu, another huge corner. Look, he's 6'3", 213 pounds. Um, you know, you, you know, if the last name sounds familiar, his brother Obi was a second-round pick in 2017, uh, a safety. Uh, but but uh, Melifanwu, the, the younger Melifanwu, uses that length to his advantage, both in man and zone coverage. 23 passes defended, so the ball skills are there. Uses that length uh, to make plays at the catch point. Uh, and despite his size, this is what's crazy. He can sink those hips and make fluid transitions without giving up much ground. Uh, there are some that feel that he's an outside shot at round number one. Um, you know, and I've got Kelvin Joseph in there. If there's going to be a guy that could challenge Joseph for uh, that, that other cornerback spot, it might be Melifamu just because of that size. You worry about some of those corners that have that, that, that size being too stiff. But with Melifamu, I think he's proven those doubters wrong. Asante Samuel, another, you know, this is another corner. I mean, this cornerback class and the, and the bloodlines, it's ridiculous. I mean, his dad uh, was a, a was a force in the league for a long time as well. I mean, that's what's crazy. You've got Patrick Sertan, you've got Joe Horn, and then you've got, you know, Asante Samuel. And that, that's the thing that's really cool, um, you know, about this year's draft class is, is just seeing a lot of these guys um, and how they're developing. But um, with Asante Samuel Sr., uh, you know, if you recall, uh, he, he really got his start with the Patriots, um, but you know I really remember him most. You know with the with the Eagles, obviously played with the Falcons as well. Was a fourth round pick at a uh, at a Central Florida, uh, three time All Pro, four time Pro Bowler, um, two time Super Bowl champ as well. Um, have to make sure that you mention that. Um, you know with the the Patriots and. Uh, so he's a guy to me, when I look at, at Asante Samuel Jr., you see the instincts. And that's the thing that you love about, about these, these guys. You know, the, they, they pass on their knowledge. These kids are like sponges. They soak them up. And uh, the, the high football IQ, you, you see it out there. The ball skills are evident. And he's a fluid athlete. He sticks to his man in coverage. Tremendous job locating the football. No wasted movement. Drives on the football to make a play. You know, if you had been a little bit taller, you know, you could potentially see Asante Samuel in round number one. Um, but I think he's still one of the top slot corners in this draft. But, but he can also play on the outside. And I think that's the thing that's critical for someone like Asante Samuel compared to someone like, say, uh, Elijah Molden. I don't think Molden can play on the outside. I think he's limited to, to playing in the slot, playing inside. Uh, but Samuel, I think, can play on both the inside or the outside. Uh, a team like the Chargers, 
Um, you know, I, I think they need another corner. They're uh, on round number two. I think would make a lot of sense taking in Asante Samuel. So you continue to move through uh, the second round. Are there any other corners that, that could potentially come off the board? You know, and, and to me, I, I don't have any other corners uh, coming off the board just yet. Uh, but um, that, that's the thing that. That, that's so deep with this class is that you can go into round number three, still find some guys that you're going to end up taking. Um, and uh, I mentioned Tyson Campbell. I think he'll ultimately end up falling to round number three just because of some of the depth uh, at some of the other positions. I'm looking at Aaron Robinson out of Central Florida. He's 6'1", 190 pounds. Um, I, I think what you like about him is he's got tremendous size, um, that length, um, plays both on the outside and in nickel, did both there at UCF. That versatility is going to get him on the field early, and uh, you know I think a team like uh, like Tennessee, Tennessee, you know, let Desmond Desmond King go, uh, as you know, along with uh, Dory Jackson and Malcolm Butler, they brought in uh, Janoris Jenkins, they brought in Kevin Johnson, but I think they still need a guy that could potentially play in the slot or on the outside. And I think Aaron Robinson could potentially do that. Play on the inside, and I think Kevin Johnson's really a one-year rental because he signed a one-year deal. Kick him outside after that. Um, you know, I mentioned Elijah Molden, and the thing that I love about Elijah Molden is, is this guy, man, he's competitive. He's fiery. You know, he's 5'10", 180 pounds, and uh, you know, I think he may be the best nickel in, in this draft. Uh, took advantage of his, his first chance to really start in 2019. Finished with four interceptions, broke up another 12. Pretty twitchy, fluid in his transitions, trusts his eyes, drives on the football, no wasted movement. I like him in round three. I'm looking at the Browns. The Browns could use a, a corner there um, in, in the slaughter at, you know, at the nickel, and I think that'd make a lot of sense. Uh, Green Bay is going to need a, a corner, and I, I love the pairing of, of uh, Rodarius Williams. Uh, the corner out of Oklahoma State. Look, he's six one, or I'm sorry, six foot, 195 pounds, and he's a twitched up corner. Good size, instincts, blanket coverage on the outside, uh, drives quickly on the football in front of him in zone coverage. Uh, rarely out of phase, forces those quarterbacks to make some perfect throws to complete passes down the field, and then when the ball arrives, has a knack for timing those jumps, and making the play at the catch point. Um, I don't think he got as much hype as his brother Greedy, but I think he might actually be a more complete prospect. And, and you know, the thing with Rodarius, and I think the thing that that's really, you know, people have, have talked about him potentially being a mid-day three guy, but the thing that I really like about Rodarius Williams is the fact that he was, you know, a lockdown corner in, in the Big 12. And the Big 12 is a team, you know, that's a conference that throws the football left and right. But teams did not want to go towards Rodarius Williams. They were throwing anywhere around that field um, other than uh, you know, his way. And, and that, I think that's the ultimate you know, sign of respect is in your own uh, conference, you know, they know, you know what, we're, we're not even putting the ball anywhere near Rodarius Williams because we know that this is a guy that's going to be making a play. You know, a guy like A.J. Green, um, who was a corner that played opposite him, it seemed like he was getting passes thrown at him left and right and uh you know with, with Rodarius look uh you know made a a statement there in Stillwater 18 pass breakups in his first two seasons with the Cowboys um just nine in the last two seasons but it's really because teams did not want to throw his way they stayed away from him 
And, and that's really the ultimate sign of respect. And that's really, for me, I look at him as a guy that could be a lockdown corner on the outside. Huge fan of his. Uh, Benjamin St. Just is another guy that's really interesting. Look, he's 6'3", 205. Um, you know, he's, he's Canadian, which is interesting. Um, but look, you know, he, he hasn't recorded a single interception, you know, so you do worry about that. You know, uh, Mackenzie Alexander is a guy that comes to mind that there were concerns about him not being able to pick off a pass. Uh, did not do that in his years there with Clemson. And uh, obviously that's going to generate some concern, um, you know, with whether or not he'll be able to make a, a play on the football uh, at the next level. But look, you know, when you look at, at what Mackenzie Alexander's done at the next level, uh, has three interceptions in his career um, over the uh, the five years that he's been in the league. So, you know, there, there is some there, some validity to that potentially. You know, a guy that, all right, you know, can't make, really make the, the play on the football in terms of picking off the pass. But look, Mackenzie Alexander's been a solid corner. 27 pass breakups in in those really those four games where he's really been able to to attack the football. Um, so it's interesting, you know. Yes, you may not have a corner that can make a that, that can pick off the passes, but you know if they're actually making a play on the football, that that's just about as good uh, in a lot of cases. And when you look at St. Just, look in his three seasons with the Golden Gophers, uh, led the team in pass breakups. 2019 with 10, um, really showed. That it doesn't matter if he's climbing the ladder, undercutting a route, coming downhill. Um, he has his length, and he'll use that to get a hand in to make a play on the football. Um, you know, a lot more fluid of an athlete than you would expect for a guy his size as well. And I think that's what's going to get a lot of teams excited. He may sneak into round three. Um, you know, and that's the thing that's really going to be interesting is is really where he's going to go off the board. I, I look at a, a team like the 49ers, and it just seems like he he makes a lot of sense. You know, look, he, he ran a 4-5-1 um, with that size. I think that's really something that tells you that he can be a guy on the outside. And, uh, you know, I mentioned the Patriots. And, and look, you know, they, they run a lot of those sub packages. They run more than, than any of the other traditional alignments in 2020 per, uh, you know, Tom Bliss, the NFL data scientist. And, and so I, I think they use uh, at least one pick on a corner and St. Just, you know, he moves so well for for the his size and those quick transitions. Um, I, I just, I think that'd be a nice pickup there uh, at the end of day two. Paulson Adebo out of Stanford. Now here's a polarizing prospect. Holy cow. Former four-star wide receiver recruit. Tremendous understanding of routes. Um, offers elite ball skills. Led to eight interceptions and 27 pass breakups in just two seasons with the Cardinal. Really burst onto the national scene as a freshman. Um, got picked on in 2019. Got exposed a little bit. Flashiness on the edge. Made him susceptible to double moves. Uh, struggled with some of the nuances of the position as well. Uh, sat out 2020 due to COVID. Um, you know, he'll need to prove that he's more more disciplined. I think that's really the biggest thing for, for Adebo is, is can he be disciplined? Um, you know, he, he's a guy that can be coached up, though, I, I believe. Um, 6'1", 195 pounds, um, you know, converted receiver. And, you know, with, with very little experience at the position, you saw what he's been able to do. Get him in uh, an NFL training camp and really with those, you know, defensive backs coach and really get him into that room and allow him to start learning. Uh, I look at a team like the Saints. You know, the Saints let uh, let, let Janoris, Janoris Jenkins go in free agency. I think they're going to look for another corner on the outside to pair with Marshawn Lattimore. And uh, Adebo is one of those guys 
um, that I think could be a sleeper when, when it's all said and done. And he's a guy that, that I'm really, uh, really high on. Um, I think more so than a lot of other people. And it's because of a lot of the, the those those inconsistent plays on the outside that, that can, can worry you a little bit. Uh, Robert Rochelle out of uh, Central Arkansas is another guy um, to really keep an eye out for. And really the thing with, with Robert Rochelle that's interesting is, uh, you know, he is a guy out of Central Arkansas um, and, and a guy that, um, you know, I, I don't think people are really considering um, being taken in, in the top half of, of the draft. You know, he's a guy that I think could sneak into round three, probably more of a round four guy, but definitely a tremendous athlete, um, very fluid hips, explosive, uh, a guy that uh, just has a nose for the football. Um, and like I said, you know, I think that round three, round four range makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, we'll have to see exactly how that plays out, but you know, Robert Rochelle, um, Central Arkansas, really a guy to keep an eye on. Um, you know, and, and really, if I can get to my, my numbers here, we can really take a look at, at his stats. Look, he's 6'2", 195 pounds, and uh, in his career uh, there at Central Arkansas, what you had was uh, 10 interceptions, 25 career pass breakups, uh, a, a guy that has tremendous instincts and uh, you know, just makes great plays, you know, great decisions, makes great plays on the football as well. Um, I'm a look. I'm I'm a big fan. I'm a guy that uh, you know I, I really want to see what he can do uh, at the next level, and um, you know, I, I think there's a good chance that uh, we could end up seeing Robert Shell taken uh, for the end of, of day number two. So a lot of other guys that we're going to be seeing coming off the board as well into day three. And day three, you know, that's really what where things get interesting, right? So you got a guy like like Tay Gowan, and you're looking for for corners, um, you know, on on day three. Tay Gowan's a guy that I think everybody really forgot about. Um, and the reason why I say that is is just because you know he sat out this last season. You know, people hadn't really been talking about him. Um, and all, all Tay Gowan has done um, is really turn heads. When you put on, on that game film uh, for, for Central Florida, he's the guy that kept flashing. You, know, you, you put it on to watch other guys, and you're like, who is this guy? You know, he's, he's a 6'2 corner. You know, he's a monster. And, you know, he just kept making plays. And so that's where I, I look at a guy like Tay Gowan, and I think he's a guy that um, – fourth round possibly into the fifth round you know that that's really where I, I could see that making some sense you know he has great size like I said 6 to 185 pounds um, flashed repeatedly as that sophomore is only going to get better um, I, I'm a big fan of, of Tay Gowans um, continuing through this group um, you know Jason Pinnock um, I, I thought this was a guy that had a tremendous pro day and, and when you look at that um, you know, he was lined up with you know the likes of, of Rashad Weaver and Patrick Jones and, and Jalen Twyman. You had um, oh uh, Demar Hamlin and Paris Ford, and then Jason Pinnock. All he does is really turn heads at that pro day and really stood out. And that's one of the things it, it's kind of hard to do when you have all those big names out there. Um, and, and so. You look at Pinnock, you look at what he did, and 
my computer to work here. Uh, we'll be able to take a look at exactly what Pinnock did. Um, there we go. 39 and a half inch vertical leap, um, you know, which is, which is staggering. Runs that 4.5240 as well. Um, you, know, you wanted to see that you know a little bit faster, but I think you know that, that the explosiveness is definitely something that is going to turn heads. Um, I think he gets himself into that mid day two, or I'm sorry, mid day three conversation. Six foot, about 200 pounds. Uh, six interceptions, 19 pass breakups in his career. The guy that can make some plays on the outside. Um, so Jason Pinnock is, is another one of those guys that, that uh, really helped himself there at uh, his pro day. Ambry Thomas, uh, a guy out of Michigan. You know, this is a guy that I wasn't all that uh, that high on. You know, the thing that really bothered me about uh, Don Brown corners, and you look at it across the board, whether it was David Long or Lavert Hill, Ambry Thomas, they're all so handsy. They want to grab you all the time, and that's the thing that just drove me nuts. Um, you know, so Ambry Thomas, I think, is probably going to come off the board in round number five. Um, elite speed, though, uh, does a good job, uh, you know, attacking the football at the at the catch point. Knows for the football, four interceptions, five fumble recoveries in his three seasons there with Michigan. I think he still needs to show and prove that he's returned to form, um, you know, after sitting out due to COVID. He's one of those guys. It's going to be interesting. I'm not as high on him as maybe some other people, um, but he'll be a guy to to kind of keep an eye out for as well. Um, really more so to see if if he can live up to some of that expectation, some of the things that people are talking about. Um, a guy that I'm, I'm really high on that I don't know that everybody is, is Shamar Jean Charles out of Appalachian State. He's 5'11", 190 pounds, and uh, you know, look, led the, the, the nation with 16 pass breakups in 2020, 30 total for his career, uh, and a guy that I think just has, uh, has natural instincts, uh, has tremendous ball skills, a guy that's going to arrive at the football, know what to do and make some plays. Um, a guy that I think will end up coming off the board, probably in that round four, round five range, but a guy that'll be one of those surprises that ends up not only making a, a, a football team, but I think he's going to end up playing well for them. Um, you know, there are a couple of uh, Oregon Ducks that are out there uh, that that'll keep, you'll have to keep an eye out for. I'm a fan of, of Thomas Graham Jr. out of Oregon, 5'11", 196 pounds, sat out 2020, um, but the ball skills uh, really are what jump off. Eight interceptions, 32 pass breakups. You know, this is a guy that can be susceptible to double moves, and that's the part that, that you worry about because of that aggressiveness. But if he can you know, harness the aggressiveness a little bit and really allow him to, you know, to make some of those plays on the football, then you know, I think you may have something there on day three. Ten and a half tackles for loss as well. So a guy that likes to play around the line of scrimmage and make plays in the run game. So that's definitely something that you want to watch out for. Um, you know, Diamondor Lenore, um, I thought that he was exposed a little bit this year in, in the six games there for the Ducks. I think you know, when you took away uh, you know, Thomas Graham on the other side, you know, I, I thought Lenore really struggled at times. You know, 5'11", 195 pounds. You know, a guy that uh, in those six games this year didn't have a pass breakup. You know, had just had the one pick. Um, so that you know, there, there's there was some concern there. Um, you know, he loses his running mate. You know, had 21 pass breakups and five interceptions coming into this season. So really, I think there were a lot of expectations put on on number zero, and uh, I, I just I didn't see him step step his game up. So he's going to be somebody that uh, I'm worried about. Uh, in terms of his draft stock at the next level, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, in terms of his his play where that ultimately lands. Um, 
Shakur Brown. You know, this was a surprise. I, I was surprised that he he came out. You know, Michigan State. You know, 5'11", 190 pounds. Uh, had the five interceptions. Led the Big Ten. And uh, I think after after he does that, I think everybody looked at that and said, "All right, well, you know, what's this kid all about? You know, what uh, what are we going to be seeing out of him?" And um, you know, the the part that that was just he's one of those guys he's not big enough to be a guy on the outside in my opinion i think he's going to be someone who's ultimately going to end up kicking uh kicking inside uh the issue really is um you know kind of what he did at his at his pro day you know i I thought that was really where you were expecting if he was going to make a move what's he going to be doing at that pro day runs that four six one and then follows it up with a four six five that's really concerning for me for a corner you, know, you, you want to be able to see that he's 5'9", 185 pounds, running a 4'6", 1, 4'6", I don't know that Shakur Brown's going to get drafted. I think that's really concerning for me. Uh, Trey Brown out of Oklahoma, another guy that's going to be interesting. Look, 31 pass breakups in his career there for the Sooners. Um, have four interceptions, including three this past season. Uh, at 5'10", 186 pounds, he also has really short arms. So I think that's another thing that, that's going to be concerning for, for any team that's going to be looking for... Um, it's going to be looking for corner play. Uh, but Trey Brown showed up, you know, actually ran, ran pretty well at his pro day, ran that 4-4-40. So that's something that's going to turn some heads. I think he'll end up being a mid-day three pick. Um, but again, I worry about uh, worry about that lack of size, um, you know, those short arms. He'll end up having to play inside at the next level. Um, but I, I think where he might be able to stick is he has some of that returnability. He was a kick returner there for the Sooners. That'll be something to keep an eye out for. Um, you know, if he can end up making an NFL roster that might be initially on special teams, and then hopefully you know teams can coach him up a little bit. Um, you know, Rashad Wild Goose, one of the better names in all of college football, 5'11", 197 pounds. The junior out of Wisconsin decided he was going to go ahead and enter the draft. Uh, only played in two games in 2020. Um, you know, a guy that I think has as good speed. On the outside, another guy, I don't know if he has enough size to really be a, a that, that outside corner, um, a guy that may end up having to kick inside, um, but definitely has some ability, has the ball skills as well, as does Cameron Bynum out of California. Six foot, 200 pounds, uh, a guy in his four seasons there with the Bears, 28 pass breakups, six interceptions, you know, another guy, you know, eight tackles for loss so he's been pretty consistent with making plays behind the line of scrimmage as well 184 tackles in those four seasons only played in four games in 2020 so when you look at the, the tackle per uh the tackles per game he was over 50 averaged over 50 tackles a game i'm sorry 50 tackles a season over his first three seasons there with the bears uh he's the guy to me that i think will end up being a mid uh probably a, a mid to late day three guy but you know when you look at, at how Cal Bear defensive backs have been coached up lately. Um, I think he'll end up sticking with an NFL roster and uh, could end up seeing the field uh, pretty early in his career. Now, I mentioned J.C. J. Horn. Looking at Israel uh, Mukuwamu, he's 6'4", 205 out of South Carolina. And uh, I, I think everybody uh, started talking about him. The buzz was there in 2019. Four interceptions, nine pass breakups. 
And then 2020 hits, and guys were really starting to take this guy apart a little bit. I think you saw some of the double moves. You saw the stiffness in his hips. Uh, you know, got turned around left and right. And that's part of the thing that really worries you is, is that stiffness. Um, you know, when you're 6'4", you're probably going to have to end up moving to, uh, to safety. But then again, when you're talking about the stiff hips, you know, could you still be a liability in coverage? So he's going to be a guy that you really have to worry about um, at the next level. Uh, a guy that I do like is, uh, you know, that's bigger, but I think is a more fluid athlete, and that's Keith Taylor out of Washington. You know, he's 6'3", 195 pounds. Uh, a guy, if you look at the stat sheets, you know, look, you know, no picks, just 10 pass breakups in his career. Uh, a guy that's battled injuries, and that's really the biggest thing, you know, at a, uh, with, with Taylor is, is can he stay healthy? Uh, that's going to be uh, critical for his draft stock. He'll be a late day three guy, possibly even an undrafted free agent, but, you know, a guy to keep an eye out for. Nashawn um, uh, Wright is another cat that's really interesting. You know, he's 6'4", 188 pounds, um, much more fluid athlete than you would expect. Only played in two seasons there for, for the Beavers, but the junior uh, you know, really showed off some nice ball skills this, this past season. Um, you know, had three interceptions in 2019, followed it up with a pair in, in 2020. Um, you know, I think a team will take a late uh, day three flyer on him because of that size and his uh, that fluidity. You know, surprising fluidity for a guy that big, and uh, you know, so that's what I think makes ultimately makes him interesting as a prospect. Is you know, what is what are we going to get out of Nation Wright? Um, you know, I think there will be a team that will be intrigued. They'll want to see exactly what he can do there at the next level. Um, you know, it's like when you look at at, uh, at a team like Seattle. Seattle loves those bigger corners. And, and that's the thing that I think is going to really be interesting about, um, you know, about Nashawn Wright is you look at him and, and that length, the size, you definitely want, you know, he just he fits with, with Seattle. And look, you know, the thing with, with Pete Carroll, he loves the big, uh, I'm sorry, the Pac-12. He loves the Pac-12. So you look at it, you're talking about a guy who is uh, 6'4 and, and 2 eighths inches. Um, you know, the wingspan was kind of weird. You know, he only had uh, 32 and, and 7 eighths inch arms. Um, weighed in at 183 pounds, so a little bit on the slight side, but he ran a 4'4", 640. So, you know, that was something that really jumped off. Um, you know, the part that really worries you, though, is 31 inch vertical leap. The, the six ben, uh, bench press reps, um, you know, is a receiver going to kind of throw him around? Um, you know, the transitions, you know, you saw the, the, the three cone drill, the short shuttle struggle with some of his transitions, which, you know, th- what's interesting about that is I, I didn't, you didn't really see that translate at the next level, or I'm sorry, at uh, uh, when you're watching him play at, uh, at Oregon State, you didn't really see that so much with the, some of those transitions, but uh, Pro Day absolutely got exposed there. Um, so he'll be somebody, I still think someone will take a late day flyer on him. Um, you know, especially if you're if you're trusting the the, the tape. Uh, you know, Kerry Vincent, they're out of LSU. He's 5'10", 189, 189 pounds. You know, a guy who, uh, you know, really everyone remembers 2019 LSU national champs. And, and what does he do? Uh, you know, four interceptions, eight pass breakups, nickel corner, sat out 2020. Um, you know, he'll be a guy that'll end up being a midday three guy. And that's the thing that's so hard about a lot of these corners is, you know, what are we going to really see 
at the next level after they've sat out 20, you know, 2020. Uh, that's really going to be the big question mark. And really with COVID, you know, it's thrown a wrench into a lot of plans for, for a lot of teams. Uh, you know, Zach, uh, Zach McPherson, interesting guy there uh, out of Texas Tech, 5'11", 195 pounds. I could see him playing in the slot as well. Uh, you know, played his first two years at Penn State, only played in nine games, goes to the Red Raiders. Um, and in his final season, four interceptions, uh, you know, and uh, and six pass breakups. He's one of those guys for me. When I watched him play, you know, drives on the football pretty well. Pretty good instincts. Um, he's he has a chance to be a late day three guy as well. Um, and then there's Avery Williams out of Boise State. Dude, he's five nine, 195 pounds. Not the biggest guy by any means. Um, did register, you know, four interceptions and 22 pass breakups. But really, what I wanted to mention him about is the fact that he, he's so tremendous in the return game. Um, you know, six, yeah, yes, that, you heard me right. Six punt returns for touchdowns while averaging 11.6 yards per punt return. Uh, actually averaged over 15 per punt in, in 2020. Uh, and then the kick returns also returned three kick returns for touchdowns as well. So this guy, definitely explosive, very sudden with the ball in his hands. And if nothing else, he's going to make a roster because of his returnability. But he's actually a pretty good corner on the outside. The, the thing that you worry about is just that size. You're going to have to move him inside. Um, but again, that suddenness, I think he'll be a guy that will be able to develop and be a, a playmaker there for uh, an NFL franchise there. Uh, so he'll be somebody to, to keep an eye on as well. Um, you know, Chris Wilcox there at a BYU ran a really nice 40 time. He's one of those guys that, you know, can't really stay on the field. Uh, Marco Wilson, there's some people that like him. Um, you know, I'm not one of them. Um, I, I think he's a guy to me, um, got exposed to Florida. Um, you know, the, the, the shoe throwing incident really bothers me as well. Um, Nick McLeod is a big corner there for, for Notre Dame. He, uh, if you recall, was the guy that was hurtled uh, by, by, Najee Harris uh, played his first four years there at NC State. Ends up moving on to Notre Dame. At, you know, only played in one game in 2019 with the Wolfpack. Um, you know, he's he's a big guy. You know, four interceptions, 28 pass breakups. Um, you know, a guy that I think you know from a fluidity standpoint, not quite as fluid. I think he's a little bit stiffer than than uh, some of these other guys that we've talked about. If we're looking for a couple of small, you know, a small school guy, a group of five. Um, I'm looking at Antonio Phillips out of Ball State. He's six foot, 191 pounds, drives well on the football, eight interceptions, 18 pass breakups in his career. Uh, he's one of those guys uh, I think has a nose for the football. Um, and like I said, if you're looking for a group of five guy late in the draft, he might be a guy to keep an eye out for. So those are my corners, some of the guys to really keep an eye on there, um, which then leads us into the safety position. And look, the safeties. We're not going to see many safeties come off the board in round number one. You know, it's going to be similar to, to last year, but I think there's a lot of depth to the position as we get into, uh, you know, second and third round especially. You're going to see quite a few safeties come off the board, or I think there will at least be the potential for that. Uh, the first safety coming off the board is going to be the Jim Thorpe Award winner. I mean, come on, Trevon Merrick, 6'2", 202 out of TCU. The production, look, Mike Mayock loves safety. Look, just... I shouldn't say safeties. You know, he just he loves production. Loves those guys that are going to go out there and make plays. Veteran players. Uh, those are the guys that he wants to draft in, in round number one. And I'm looking at Merrick. I think that's the guy that he's definitely going to target to play opposite um, Jonathan Abram. You know, I know that they brought in Carl Joseph for a second stint with the franchise, but they need a playmaker on that back end. You get Merrick back there. 
Uh, you know, he's versatile. Uh, play over the top against the pass. Plays in the box against the run. Uh, six interceptions, 20 pass breakups. Also racked up over 100 tackles in, in the past two seasons for the Horned Frogs. Um, you know, matches up well against some, even some of the bigger tight ends. If you watch this game against uh, OU, went up against a big 6'5", 6'6", tight end in Austin Stogner and, and was really physical with him. Um, you know, the biggest concern that you have with him is he'll get a bit overzealous, takes the improper angle to the football. If you watch that game against Iowa State, took a poor angle on a third and three, got blocked, and uh, ultimately Brees Hall shot through the gap behind him, scored on a 32-yard run that ultimately put the Cyclones up uh, 37-28 with just uh, 254 to play. So that did you know, did hurt. Um, you know, when I was watching him, you know, I, you worry a little bit about some of those angles at times, but you can't argue with the production, the instincts, the range. You know, this is a guy that I think is is uh, uh, can be a, a starter at the next level right away. Uh, really, a lot of fun to watch. So then, uh, day two, and here's here's what I really have to preface. Uh, you know, with this. Uh, you know, when I look at a team like the Lions, and so we're going to talk about two picks there for the Lions. Um, you know, I know the Lions, obviously, they're going to go after a receiver, um, and I do have them taking a receiver on uh, uh, in round uh, in round number three in uh, Tylen Wallace. And I think they'll also take another receiver either in round four or round five. They've got to replace the receivers that they lost. Right, you know, so we know that you've got Kenny Galladay, you've got Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, Mohamed Sanu, all gone. You bring in Brashad Perriman, you bring in Tyrell Williams. Um, you could potentially use that number seven overall pick to get a receiver, but I think you can wait because of the depth of this draft uh, at the receiver position. Tylen Wallace there in round number three makes a ton of sense, um, and I think that'd be a nice, a nice fit. And then they can go ahead and get another receiver later on in the draft as well. So why am I telling you all this? You know, well, first off, I think you know pick number seven is going to end up being Panay Sewell as well. But why am I telling you this? I'm looking at at the Lions and the back end of that defense. They lost Jerron Harmon, their strong safety, and uh, you know Tracy Walker's in the final year of his deal. I think the Lions can end up using picks on date, you know, in the second round and the third round to land their linebackers or their safeties of the future. Richie Grant, 5'11", 200 pounds. Uh, Jim Thorpe Award finalist uh, there out of Central Florida. Um, and he filled up the stat sheets for, for the Golden Knights. You know, 290 tackles, 10 interceptions, 17 pass breakups, 11 tackles for loss, and a sack. Uh, put on a show at the Senior Bowl, displayed his instincts, playmaking ability against both the pass and the run. This is a guy that can play in the box. You know, I think he can play, you know, shows that tremendous range over the top uh, against the pass. Isn't afraid to mix it up against the run, though. And that's the thing that I really like about him. Um, you know, I, I think you you line him up either at the free safety or strong. Um, but I think really what you could do is is if he plays plays uh, opposite Tracy Walker at least right away. Here's the guy that I really like for them on uh, in the third round, and uh, we're kind of going out of order in terms of the the, the rankings there for the safeties. But uh, a guy that I really like is uh, Divine Diablo, one of the best names in this draft for sure but divine diablo he's 6'3 226 pounds a guy who um is one of those hybrid players and i think that's the thing that, that you really like about him is he he is he has that hybrid 
uh, linebacker, safety, a guy that can do a little bit of everything. Um, and that I, that I think is what is so intriguing is you get a guy like him and it's it's just it, what I think is going to be interesting for, for him is and really when with the Lions and what I really like about it is he can end up they need a, a weak side linebacker and he has the ability to play both safety and linebacker so he could actually come in and be that weak side linebacker right out of the game right and so that's the thing that I really like and then should they not sign Tracy Walker he and, and Richie Grant can end up playing on the on the back back end of that defense so you've got your playmaker there and Richie Grant you've got the big physical guy um, with with Divine Diablo and I think it makes a ton of sense you know this is a guy that's going to um, you know, he, he, he sheds blocks uh, very well, especially against those tight ends. Um, fills those gaps, shooting into running lanes, gets behind the line of scrimmage in a hurry. Um, uses that, you know, that big body to, to really go after those tight ends. And that's the thing that you really like about him. Um, you know, I think he's a, he's a physical player, a guy that's going to, to wrap up really well. Um, you know, and uh, maybe not the best in man-to-man, but a guy that I think is going to be tremendously productive at the next level. And the thing that you like are those, those, those hybrid type players. That's really where the game is going. And that's really when you look at a lot of the linebackers, they're converted safeties. And Diablo with his size, he could absolutely make that transition. When you look at him, I mean, he fills up the stat sheet for, uh, for Virginia Tech. Um, you know, with, with over 200 tackles, six interceptions, 11 pass breakups, 12 and a half tackles for loss, reforced fumbles as well so you know this is a guy that has a nose for the football excellent wrap-up tackler doesn't make a lot of mistakes and so that's really something that i think um would fit well for the lions uh when when things are all said and done why am i talking about the lions you know i, I think that's one of the things for me as i look at some of these guys where are they going to fit what makes the most sense and who can we pair together um you know i, I think you know the lions look the back end of that defense you know, I think you've got it pretty much, you know, pretty much set. You've got Jeff Okuda on, on one side there at the quarterback position as well. Um, so it makes it a lot, you know, makes it really interesting. Um, Andre Cisco out of Syracuse, another guy, look, had that freaking accident, tearing his ACL, uh, ran into a uh, a teammate in, in, in a pregame workout. I'm sorry, pregame warmups. You know, pre, you know, right there at the pregame. And uh, ultimately ends up gets injured and is out for the season. Uh, but he's six foot, two oh three. This is a guy. Look, he, he burst onto the scene as a true freshman with seven interceptions, thirteen picks in his career, fourteen pass breakups. He's fearless. He's a risk taker, uh, which is also why he was so successful on the back end of a defense. Always thinks he can make a play on on the football. Has that speed to get to the ball in a hurry. Tremendous small skills to make the play when needed. But that gambling mentality, it does get him into trouble. Susceptible to being out of position. He has given up eight touchdowns in his career, according to Pro Football Focus. Um, you know, he's, he's not only that high-risk, high-reward player on the deep end. He can be that physical player coming down field, uh, downhill in the box as well. I think a team like KC, and hear me out with this because it is a little congested there with their, their DBs. But you add him to a group with Tyron Matthew and Juan Thornhill. And really that gives Casey a nice group of ball hawks on the back end of that defense. You know, their, their, their defense, the, the, the corners got picked on, the safeties got picked on at times. Cisco, Matthew, 
Thornhill, that really helps solidify things for the Chiefs, in my opinion. You know, I, I think that would make a lot of sense. Um, you know, really, uh, after that, a guy that's really polarizing, I think what's interesting is Javon Holland, either you love him or you hate him. Uh, he's 6'1", 196, and a guy that has the versatility to play both safety positions, also able to play corner as well, um, really in the slot, taking on those receivers and coverage. Um, and yeah, that position versatility, a team like the Vikings would love to get him and bring him in there, um, You know, especially with Xavier Woods and Harrison Smith, both free agents at the end of the season. Um, but the ball, ball skills, the instincts, you absolutely see that. Nine interceptions in those two seasons with the Ducks. Also dynamic as a punt returner. 15.3 yards per punt return in 2019. Uh, to me, I look at him and uh, you know I think there may be a little bit of time to develop, but he's one of those interesting guys to me, I, I think can end up being a playmaker at the next level. Uh, you know, Another guy that's, that's, I think, should be a third round pick, may end up coming off the board. Uh, later than that, due to due to his injuries, but James Wiggins, man, this is this dude. There are a few safeties that are smarter than, than this guy. You know, the, the football IQ off the charts. You just watch him reading and reacting quickly on the back end. Um, you know, you just the, the injuries. You, you feel for the guy, and the medical uh, red flags just jump off the charts because he tore his AC out the beginning of the 2019 season, rehabbed his injury in five months, but then he tears his meniscus falling down a flight of stairs. But he still comes out, runs that 4440 uh, in a 38-inch vertical leap, reps out 225 20 times. This dude's showing that he's he's a physical specimen. He's back to you know back to health, back to being 100. percent If he can stay healthy, I, I think he could really pair nicely with a team like with Eddie Jackson there in, in Chicago. Eddie Jackson, we know, is a playmaker. All the interceptions that he's returned for touchdown um, with the Bears. And I look at Wiggins. Not only is he intelligent. Um, and, and the quick read and react um, reads those quarterbacks eyes well drives well on the football fluid in coverage elevates and attacks the football in the air but here's the thing he's physical coming downhill against the run he likes to light people up you know he can be that physical intimidating presence on the back end you pair that physical presence with the playmaker in Eddie Jackson and I think the Bears have something there on the back end of their defense um, you know, another guy that I really like is, is Jamar Johnson out of Indiana He's 6'1", 197 pounds, and the junior really this year, you know, was, was his breakout season. You know, Jamar Johnson was the first Indiana Hoosier safety to be named first team All Big Ten since Eric Allen in 1996. I didn't realize that, but I saw that uh, you know, Indiana posted that on his bio. Uh, really interesting. Uh, excellent instincts. Reads those quarterbacks' eyes, times his breaks on the football, uh, defends uh, defends the pass in the air. Wound up picking off four passes. Two of those were against Justin Fields. Um, broke up another four passes as well. He's not afraid to play around the line of scrimmage um, against the run. He's also a blitzer. He's rarely out of position. Very quick with his transitions. Closes in the hurry and in a hurry and off coverage as well and in zone. Um, I'm a big fan of Jamar Johnson. You know, the Ravens could use him. I think the Rams could potentially use him as well. Um, I, I think he'll end up being a, a third-round pick. There are some people that feel that people are too high on him. I really don't think so. I, I think he's one of those guys that uh, the best is yet to come, I think, for Jamar Johnson. Uh, Missouri has a pair of safeties. Uh, the one that I really like is Tyree, uh, Tyree Gillespie. He's 6'1", 210 pounds, and... 
what you love about him is he's a playmaker. You know, he, he showed off his ability to, to win against Kyle Pitts in coverage, took on Najee Harris in the ground game, um, and as a three-year starter for Mizzou, 12 pass breakups, six tackles for loss. Um, you know, so obviously a guy that can make, make plays against both the pass and the run. Um, I'm looking at a team like Tennessee Titans. They need a safety now that they left, uh, let Kenny Vaccaro go. They need a safety to pair with Kevin Byard. And I think Tyree Gillespie can end up being that guy. Um, in the fifth round, I, I think it's where you can potentially see uh, Joshua Bledsoe come off the board. He's another safety who I, I think does a decent job in coverage. You know, I, I think that's one of the things that uh, he doesn't get a lot of credit uh, credit for either. Uh, but a guy that I think he'll, he will drop into coverage. Um, and a guy that can be physical at the point of attack when you need him to as well. Um, you know, I just don't see him quite there on the same level as his teammate, but definitely a guy that I think will end up uh, making that transition to the next level and, and being a playmaker. Uh, 18 pass breakups, so definitely the ball skills are there. Uh, seven and a half pa- uh, tackles for loss, so a guy that can play around the line of scrimmage a little bit as well. Um, you know, Mizzou. You know, pair of really nice nice uh, safeties. So that'll be interesting to see you know, where they end up coming off the board. Um, DeMar Hamlin out of Pittsburgh. 6'1", 195 pounds. Didn't run that great at his pro day. Uh, I think in the 4'6 range. Um, but look, this is a guy I think you know can cover in the slot. And a guy that, you know, be that free safety playing on, on the back end over the top as well. Six interceptions, 21 pass breakups in his career. Uh, a, a guy that I think has some pretty good instincts, 10 tackles for loss. So a guy that you know will come up and, and play, play a little bit behind the line of scrimmage. Um, I'm a big fan of Demar Hamlin. I'm not as big of a fan on, as, as uh, a lot of people on Paris Ford. I think that 40 time really hurt him. Um, everyone falls in love with him because of those ball skills because, hey, he has those six interceptions. Honestly, I think people were trying, you know, teams were really trying to avoid uh, DeMar Hamlin on the back end. You know, that's really what I believe uh, more than anything else. And, and really, I think, you know, Jason Pinnock and some of his cover skills um, showed up as well. And, uh, you know, with Paris Ford, I just, you know, man, when you run a 4-8-3, that's just not good. You know, that disappointing performance, I think, ends up knocking him, potentially knocking him out of the draft altogether. Um, one guy that I do really like is uh, a guy like, uh, by the name of Reed Blankenship out of Middle Tennessee. 6'1", 200 pounds, um, over 100 tackles in 2018. That's really where he kind of made a name for himself. Had 15 tackles for loss in his first two years there with the Red Raiders. Eight interceptions in, in his career as well, including six in his first two seasons. Um, battled some injuries. Uh, in 2019 and really didn't return to that same form that we saw in his first two years there. Um, but definitely a guy on the back end, very intelligent player. I think he'll end up being a fifth or sixth round pick when it's all said and done. But I'm, I'm still a big fan of his. I'm, I'm not, um, you know, he's just a, the, the thing that you do like about him is that he's a, a tackling, just, he needs to do that. You know, I, I saw where, uh, there were a couple of, of writers out there that called him a tackling freak. Um, and, and yeah, I, I agree with that. Kyle Smith, um, writing for, for SB Nation, uh, Hogs Heaven, noted that he's, he's a tackling freak. And that, that honestly, the, 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 the way that he wraps up, you know, he drives through the ball carrier and uh, you know, really the helmet right there on the thigh pad. 
you know, he tackles the way you expect a guy to tackle. Um, really a high football IQ guy as well. Um, standout basketball and football player in high school. Um, captain of the team as well. Uh, that motor is never going to quit. He's always flying around to the to the football. Um, you know, man-to-man coverage, I think, is really the biggest thing that that, uh, that he wor- that you know, worries me for him um, because you know, he flies around. He makes a lot of plays. I think he'll end up making a team. He kind of reminds me a little bit of, of uh, Andrew Wingard um, there for for uh, for the Jags. Really, a, a third safety. Um, but Blake Kitchen, look, you know, he ran a four-four-six forty back in high school. Um, you know, I don't know why people really aren't talking about him much at all. Um, but I think he's a guy that, um, when he hits the field, um, like I said, all he does is make plays anywhere. You see him around the football all the time. I, I like him. I, I like him a lot. And, uh, if he comes off the board in, in round five, the teams are going to get a guy that has range, has good ball skills. Um, so be on the lookout for Reed Blankenship on day three of the draft. Uh, Trill Williams out of Syracuse, another big guy there uh, at Syracuse playing on the back end of the defense, 6'2", 198 pounds. Um, this is a guy uh, really battled injuries during his time with the Orange, and that's the biggest thing that, that worries you when you talk about Trill Williams and why he's going to fall to probably the fifth or sixth round. Um, probably going to be a free safety at the next level. Uh, those ankle injuries in 2019 and 2020 really hurt him. Um, you know, he did line up a little bit at the slot as well. Uh, I think he does struggle at times with his transitions and man coverage, but really does a good job reading and reacting in zone coverage, driving on the football in a hurry, arriving with bad intentions, can be a physical hitter there on the outside. Uh, I, I just I worry about the, the injuries for one, and then just some of that inability there in man coverage kind of limits um, – him as a prospect when it's all said and done. Um, so that's one of the guys that I worry about a little bit. Uh, but Derek Forrest out of Cincinnati, I mentioned uh, mentioned James Wiggins, but Derek Forrest is a guy that we really should be talking about more. And uh, you know, I, I don't think he's getting the respect that uh, that really that he deserves. You know, he came out to his his pro day and, and really put on a show. I thought uh, ran a four three eight forty. Uh, repped out 225, 21 times. You know, so definitely a guy that has the speed and, and has that physicality as well. You know, he was a leader on that defense, especially without Wiggins. Derek Forrest had to be the leader of that secondary, and I thought he really stepped up and elevated his game um, in 2020 to be able to do that. Over 100 tackles in 2019, six interceptions in his in his career as well. So he can be physical when you need him to be. You know, a guy that can play behind the line of scrimmage at times, can also play over the top. The speed, the range, I'm looking at, at him, and I think there's a chance he can end up being a fourth-round pick. Probably going to come off the board in round five, but I think someone's going to get a, a safety that's going to be a, a heady player and a guy that's going to end up starting for them. And people are going to turn back and, and they're going to look at uh, at Derek Forrest and say, "Wow, that was really a nice pickup, you know, for whichever team ends up getting him." Um, I, I think Caden Stearns is, is a guy that's going to be interesting there, coming out of Texas. Look, he's six foot two oh seven. This is a guy who broke onto the scene as a true freshman. Uh, just a couple of years ago in 2018, earned freshman All-America honors, picked off four passes, broke up another four, and uh, you know 62 tackles, a sack, and three t- tackles for loss. Never really seemed to be able to replicate that production. Um, 
has that at the athleticism and range. 4440, 42-inch vertical leaps. We know he's a tremendous athlete. Um, you know, so he's definitely fluid and explosive. But you're waiting for him to really show up and have that production match the potential. If he can be coached up, this is a guy that I think can end up being in the league a long time. I just wonder if he peaked in 2018 or if this is a guy that really truly can get better at the next level. I think because of his athleticism, he can end up coming off the board in round three, round four. You know, it'll really be interesting to see what happens there. Um, some other guys to be on, on the lookout for. Sean Davis out of Florida, six foot 206. Physical presence on the back end. Does a decent job, um, you know, reading the quarterback. Five interceptions, 10 pass breakups in his career. Um, I think he's a guy, another guy that battled some injuries. Didn't always see the field there for the Gators. So anytime you're dealing with injuries, guys that, that battle injuries, that, that really has to concern you. And is he going to be somebody that's going to that's going to see that field and stay out there? Um, or is he going to be battling those injuries? And so that's where I, I think you could potentially see him fall out of the draft altogether. And then there's Sean Wade. What do we do with Sean Wade? Um, you know, this is a guy that at one point, you know, really, uh, he wanted to come back to school and that really hurt him because I think teams were talking about him as a potential first round pick. 6'185 pounds. Um, this is a guy, he, he lacks that long speed. You know, Devontae Smith really exposed him in, in, that, uh, in that national title game. Um, looked like he was running in slow motion as uh, Smith was running away from him. Um, I, I thought really he was playing out of position on the outside, though. He needs to either be inside or at safety. You know, and look, he does have the ball skills. Six interceptions, 18 pass breakups in, in those three seasons there at, at Ohio State. But uh, I, I just I worry about, about him. That some of the, those games when he was at his worst, um, he looked really bad. And that's the part that you worry about him at the next level. Uh, you know, he's a guy that can fall all the way to round six uh, just because against that elite competition, he really struggled. And I'll leave you with, with one guy that I'm a, a huge fan of. Um, well, actually, I've got two guys that I'm fans of that, that I have to really talk about. Um, one of those is Jacoby Stevens out of LSU. He's 6'2", 230 pounds, and he's a safety slash linebacker. Actually showed up to LSU as a receiver, and they, they moved him over, played safety, and this is a guy that just fills up the stat sheet, you know, does a little bit of everything, you know, and really that hybrid linebacker position. You know, a guy that I think can end up moving into that fifth round range. But look, had 92 tackles for that that national championship winning uh, LSU team. Uh, you know, nine nine tackles for loss, five sacks, had three interceptions, six pass breakups. You know, this is a guy that uh, did a little bit of everything. You know, play, he liked to play around the box. Um, you know, and inside that box, coming downhill. Uh, could blitz a little bit, time those blitzes really well, getting to the quarterback. Um, you know, I thought you know, dropping into, into coverage, uh, reading those quarterback, you know, not only reading the quarterback's eyes, but actually showing that he can line up against running backs, line up against tight ends, um, slot receivers at times. He he's one of those new age linebacker types that you know when you need him to play safety, you can play safety. You can also play linebacker. Much more fluid athlete than I thought he was going to be as well. So I thought that was really interesting. And uh, you know, to me, Jacoby Stevens is a guy that um, he ran. A, he ran that four five forty. Had a forty two inch vertical leap as well. 
So this is a guy that's going to be a, one of those athletes. And I think a lot of people have him coming off the board in like round six because really what position is he going to be? Look, he's a football player. And, you know, if a team team will find a position and a place for him to play, and all he's done is been able to produce there at LSU. So I'm a huge fan of his. And if he does come off the board in round number five or round six, you know, if he comes off the board any later, you know, then he's going to come in with a huge chip on his shoulder, and he should uh, because I think he's a much pl- better player than uh, people are giving him credit for right now. Um, and then one final guy that I, I, you know, I have to bring up, and uh, it's Talanoa Hufanga out of USC. 6-1-2-15, the junior. Um, if you listen to my podcast, you know that I'm a, I'm a, a, a Trojan. Uh, you know, I graduated from USC, so I've watched a lot of SC football and uh, watched every game that, that Ufanga's played. And, and this was a guy, when he started his career at SC, was a heat-seeking missile. You know, he was double-digit tackles left and right, but he just couldn't stay on the field because he was just playing with such a reckless abandon. You know, understood angles, read and react, see the ball, go get the ball, hit the hit the ball carrier. But the problem was he'd injure one shoulder, and then with that shoulder healing up, then he goes out and injures the other shoulder. So you've got two injured shoulders. Something had to give. I mean, this guy wasn't going to stay on the field because of just the way that he was playing in those first two years. The maturity in 2020, what you really saw was a complete football player. Had four interceptions uh, this past season. So you actually saw him develop into a guy that that could also drop into coverage. And, you know, to have a have that heat-seeking missile suddenly find that, you know, I thought that was really what, what was missing from his game. Um, I thought maybe the most spectacular play uh, was against Washington State, undercut a crossing route, reached behind him with his right hand, tipped the ball to himself, hurled an offensive player on this 37-yard run that set up first and goal for the Trojans. And we earned All-America honors, Trojans' first defensive uh, player of the year in the Pac-12 since the Dory Jackson in 2016, I think he is a playmaker on the back end. Hufunga is a guy, when you, when you have him playing under control, that's really where he's at his best. Uh, and you know, I thought it not only allows him to play downhill against the run, he can be a more effective blitzer, he can bend off the edge, shoot the A-gap, and then that you know, drop in, in, into coverage using those instincts on the outside. I'm a huge fan of, of Hufunga's. He may not come off the board until midday three, he was a guy that I thought could potentially be a, a day two pick. And really what I was looking at, at at Hufanga, I thought he would be the guy that I would end up uh, mocking to the Bears. I think when you look at his playmaking ability, his physicality, his range that he showed at USC, you pair him up with Eddie Jackson, seemed like a match made in heaven. Hufanga runs that 4-6-140, and I think that really drops his draft stock quite a bit. And that's really going to be the biggest concern that I have for him is, is some of that long speed. Um, but you really didn't see that. I thought he played a lot faster than that when he was at USC. And so that's that's going to be the big question mark is, is just how quick is he going to be there at the next level? Um, I think fifth, maybe sixth round you know, in terms of, of where he's going to come off the board. But I think whoever gets him is going to be one of those guys. He's going to be a big player. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to play very well. Um, but that's just me. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's going to be interesting. He's not a Troy Polamalu. But who is? 
you know, I mean, obviously when you look at USC, uh, here's the thing with Troy Polamalu. Here's what's interesting. 5'10", 206, had 30 and three quarters inch arms. So when we talk about safeties, and we're talking about all this length and everything, Troy Polamalu, his arms weren't even 31 inches. So when we talk about lack of length, and, and that being such a hindrance, look at what Troy Polamalu was able to do in his career, and those arms, he didn't have tremendous arm length. You know, what he was able to do, he repped out you know, 225, 25 times, had a 43 and a half inch vertical leap. Are you kidding me? And then runs the 4-3-3-40. There's your kicker. So, you know, the explosiveness there and, and the strength. So even though he didn't have the length, you have the explosiveness, you have the strength, you have the straight line speed, and then his ability to, you know, to not only do that, but also be able to you know, sink his hips and drive on the football. Do we have a guy that's anywhere close to Troy Polamalu in this draft? Not even close. You know, at the safety position. There really isn't. There are a lot of nice players, and really it's not fair to take a guy like Troy Polamalu. Um, you know, look, he was a 16th overall pick in, uh, in 2003. But, you know, when you're talking about safeties being taken in round number one, and you know, he was taken, you know, in, in mid-round one, and you see the type of player that Troy Polamalu became. So there isn't out of the realm of possibility when you look at guys like Trevon Merrick and some of these other guys um, to end up having a, a pretty solid career. You know, but really, I wanted to take just a quick moment, you know, talking about Troy Polamalu because look, he was inducted, you know, he, he was nominated and then ultimately officially elected into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2020. And, you know, hats off to him. So ending his career, finally getting to go to Canton, it's going to be interesting to see, do we have any guys in this draft class who could end up finding their way to Canton? It's going to be interesting. I had to, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't get a chance to talk about a fellow Trojan making it into the Hall of Fame. You know, I ended the safety talk with Kufanga, talked about Polamalu, and, you know, I think I'm done with talking about my Trojans. But, you know, I think, honestly, Hufanga's not going to be the next Troy Polamalu. He's just not. But he is a guy that has good instincts. He is a guy that plays faster than that 4-6-1-40. So I, I think a team will get a, a really nice player there um, somewhere on, on day three, probably in that mid uh, mid to, to possibly late day three when it's all said and done. So those are the corners and the safeties. We've gotten through everything. We're able to go ahead and cover quite a bit of ground. Got to talk talk about over 40 prospects and really where I think they may end up coming off the board. And uh, we're going to end up playing by the numbers on uh, on Wednesday. So all of these guys and more. We, we didn't talk about Hamza Nazar, uh, Dean. They're out of Florida State. You know, 6'4", safety. Another guy that you worry about, the stiffness in his hips and, and being able to cover. And, uh, you know, so... We'll talk about where I think he's coming off the board as well as everybody else and really how that shapes up and uh, really take a look at uh, at the position, both corner and safety. But that won't be until Wednesday. So tomorrow we're going to go ahead. We'll sit down here. We're going to go ahead and take a look at uh, the AFC and NFC East and the AFC and NFC South. And we'll take a look at 
really my projections for the first five rounds of this draft. Really, what are the team needs? Who do I think will be a good fit for that franchise as well? Really, what they want to do and you know, really what their current personnel has and what would be a nice complement to what they already have on the roster. So I, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Obviously, you've got a couple of teams with a lot of picks there with uh, New York and uh, and Miami. So I think that's going to be fun to really kick things off. Start with those two those two franchises. We'll talk about the Bills. We'll talk about the Patriots and really what we see there. Obviously, there's there's a lot of work that needs to be done in the NFC East. So we'll really be able to break all of that down and figure out you know which team really has the upper hand going into uh, the 2021 season. And then uh, obviously with uh, with the South, the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, getting the first overall pick. But what else are they going to do to help Trevor Lawrence out? Urban Meyer's first NFL draft, what's that going to look like? And then uh, the NFC South, obviously Tom Brady and, and the, the Bucks, really a lot of luxury picks because everybody's coming back. All 22 guys are coming back. So what are they going to do there? Uh, you know, the Saints. Now that Drew Brees is gone, you really got Jameis Winston there under center. You know what are you going to do to help him out? And uh, you know, obviously Matt Rule there in Carolina. You know, are they? You know, there's talk that maybe they'd still take a quarterback if if Justin Fields is out there, possibly even trading Sam Darnold. What what are we doing here? Come on, they're going to take an offensive lineman. They should at least protect Sam Darnold, replace Russell Okung. Get either Panay Sewell or Rashawn Slater. Let's not let's talk, stop the nonsense there with that quarterback position. Um, and then Atlanta, do they take Matt Ryan or I'm Matt Ryan's uh, successor and, and take a guy like Trey Lance or potentially Justin Fields, or do you go with Kyle Pitts? You know where I stand with that. So we'll be able to take a look at all of their picks as well. So that's what we're really going to be talking about on Monday. Uh, April 26th, and uh, look, after the 25th, we'll only have three days in between, uh, you know, in between us and, and the draft. And so, obviously, we're going to have a lot of fun on the 29th, the 30th, and the 1st of May. And then after Mr. Irrelevant is called next week, we'll come back here and we'll take a look at every single team how they did in the draft. We'll talk about, you know, did they address all their concerns? Um, you know, what does that really look like, you know, for their roster going forward? And then also take a look at some of the undrafted free agents as well. So a lot of stuff to cover over the next couple of weeks. Hopefully you, you've enjoyed the content to this point. Stick around. We've got a couple more weeks of action. And then we'll even do a, a real way too early uh, look at the, the 2022 draft, start getting some names into your brain. Uh, but that's still going to be a, a few weeks out before we even do anything like that because we still got to get everything going here for the 2021 draft. Can't talk about 2022 draft until the 2021 draft is in the books, in my opinion. That's just, you just can't do that. So we won't talk about that until we get through the 2021 draft. And, uh, you know, I may even try to bring on some fans as well talk about from a fan's perspective what their teams did in the draft how they really feel their team is setting up for 2021 as well so a lot to cover stay with us we're in the home stretch and really this is the best time of year the draft is this week
Take care, everyone. And for the readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Enjoy the week, everyone. Come back with us. We'll do it all over again tomorrow. Take care. And until next time, I am out of here.